We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup against the Boston Celtics, the 44-17 and number one team in the Eastern Conference, Boston Celtics, that the Knicks actually just beat, and as you'll learn in this episode, are the only team in the Atlantic Division to defeat the Celtics this season. Um, this will be a good test case because the vibes are immaculate here in Knicks land. And some of us are thinking second round. Some of you are thinking conference finals, NBA finals, Canyon of heroes. And what better way to see just how far apart this team is from the contenders of the East than a home matchup against a team that just had one of the better wins of the season. The Celtics did on Saturday night against the Sixers. Um, and I get into it with one half of the How About Them Celtics podcast and a writer for Celtics blog, Jack Simone. Um, I think you're really going to like this conversation. He answered some some questions about Jalen Brown that I've always had, especially when I dive deeper into his advanced metrics and wonder why they paint a not very good basketball player. Um, we talk about the coaching situation and how not necessarily that um, like, the, the what happened this summer with Ime Udoka, but how Celtics fans are reacting to this team that uh, only continues to get better, and yet the coach is never good enough. We know a little bit about that here in New York, but uh, it's a good conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's get into it. My conversation with Jack Simone of How About Them Celtics and Celtics Blog. Enjoy. Joining me now on this edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show, the Knicks have played a lot better lately, at least better since the trade deadline. Undefeated with Josh Hart. And what better way to test their undefeated stretch since the trade deadline than the best record in the NBA, a division rival, and a team coming off of one of the more exhilarating victories in Philadelphia the night before. And joining me to talk about this Knicks matchup against the Boston Celtics is Jack Simone. Uh, he is a writer for Celtics blog and one half of the How About Them Celtics podcast. Jack, welcome to the Knicks Home School podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Big stretch for the Knicks. Obviously, a big stretch for the Celtics. Uh, it's going to be a good game. I'm, I'm excited for it. So... I mentioned a little bit before the the show that last mm -hmm. night's game was a 
a little exhilarating for you, especially the ending oh, yeah. of it. Much different than the <laughs> Knicks game against the, the Pelicans, which was over really at halftime. Mm. Honestly, kind of over in the first quarter. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's funny. I was thinking as I was watching the, the Celtics-Sixers game that just how different the, the interview would have gone if it was reversed, like if the Knicks were playing the Sixers today and I was talking to somebody, the the mood would be so much different. I would feel like I was talking to someone that, like uh, when like with like a family member in the hospital rather than somebody that just got engaged, you know? Uh-huh. So if you want to just tell Knicks fans what the last, for those who don't know, Jason Tatum hit a three to give the Celtics a three point lead with uh, 1.3 seconds left. And yes. then because the Sixers were out of timeout, Embiid had to throw a, not even a three-quarters court, a four-fifths of the court heave to try and tie mm-hmm. it. He did, but it was just barely late. Knicks fans, I'm sure even Celtics fans, will remember that they were getting deja vu of Amari mm-hmm. Stoudemire against the Celtics <laughs> back in 2000, 2010. Um, yeah. Take me through the last 10 seconds of the game last night. Yeah, every part of my being thought that the Joel Embiid shot counted. It was it was flashbacks to the conference finals when Jimmy Butler heaved that three pointer that would have put them uh, Miami ahead in Game Seven. Again, the the feeling of as soon as the ball leaves their hands, I thought the shot was going in. I like a, a, every instinct in my body knew Joel Embiid was going to somehow make that shot. I was just very glad it didn't happen 0.2 seconds uh, earlier in the shot clock. I mean, what a ridiculous game. You said Jason Tatum nailing that shot at the end of regulation to put the Celtics up. I'll add the contingency. Jason Tatum nailing that shot after being horrible mm. for the entirety of the game. Jason Tatum was awful. And usually when you talk about Jason Tatum being quote unquote bad, it is just him shooting efficiently. Jason Tatum had no rhythm. He was passing up good looks. He was turning the ball over. He couldn't find his teammates. Th- that was arguably Tatum's worst game of the season. Joe Mazzulla put him back in at the end of games anyways. We were talking about this. A lot of people were upset. Joe Mazzulla didn't play Derek White. He's in an impossible situation with so many good players that he can finish the game with. Jason Tatum will always be on the court. He is that level of player, just like I assume Jalen Brunson has been for the season. If Jalen Brunson shoots 5 for 20, he's still going to be on the court Mm -hmm. at the end of the fourth quarter for the Knicks. So Jason Tatum, after playing terribly, uh, coming in clutch, hitting that final shot, big stretch at the end of the game. even from a neutral perspective, it, it, it was like an all-timer. That That is what a national TV game should be. It, it, it was a great game, and the Celtics just happened to squeak by. So this is real. Celtics fan, There are Celtics fans that wanted Jason Tatum to not play down the stretch in crunch time. Celtics fans will find any reason to complain. Uh, uh, and <laughs> you... you, you, you well, hey, well, well versed <laughs> in this world. Yes, continue. Yeah, hey, you, you love it because they're so passionate, but they Celtics fans... All season, I don't know if this is like a known thing outside of like Celtics Twitter. Lots of Joe Mazzulla complaints. Mm. Joe and I said that I say this a lot. Joe Mazzulla was put in an impossible situation when he took the job this year uh-huh. because if they did well, then it is he was supposed to do well. This team made the finals last year, but if he does poorly, then it is well he's the only difference between this year's team and last year's team. Joe Mazzulla, it's his fault, right? So he was never going to get the credit he deserved. It, it was an impossible situation. Obviously, I. I think he's done a great job. He's elevated their offense. They were bad on defense to start the year. They've turned it around top four defensive team now. Um, But with the talent they have on the floor, there are going to be players left out of the, the end of game rotation. And some people were saying Jason Tatum has been so bad, put Derek white on the floor. And 
in the defense of those people, Derek White was good enough, and I think he should have been on the floor. But at that point, who you're going to take off? Marcus Smart is the easy argument, in my opinion, because he was okay that game, and Derek White's a guard, so that's an easy switch. A lot of people said Grant Williams shouldn't have been on the floor, but my thing is you need that size against Embiid. Grant Williams is really strong. He's one of the only players on the Celtics who can contend with Embiid. And when I say contend with Embiid, I mean just slow him down a little bit because you're, you're not going to stop Joel Embiid in the post. Um, so a, you had a lot of people complaining that about Joe Missoula's end of game rotations. I'm not going to sit here and say they were perfect. Uh, like I said, I think Derek White should have been on the floor. Um, but yeah, a lot of people, you know, complaining about, about that in particular. And like I said, though, it's, you're not going to have Jason Tatum not be on the floor at the end of the game. So I'm laughing because uh-huh. the, since we started this pregame show and um, I've got to talk to a lot of people from other fan bases. Yeah. The common thread is that nobody's happy with their coach talking to a Miami Heat content creator and they're blaming Spo talking to Uh you name it. The team could be undefeated and it's like they should win more. It's like, wait, but they haven't (laughs) lost like the, the levels to which coach criticism is just kind of broken, which look, Mm -hmm. I'm not like Tibbs is (laughs) unapologetically, you know, uh, can, can be defended in everything. I do think there's some things I wish he would be different about. He needs to be with like a word. (laughs) Quite literally. That's the biggest thing is that we've turned this high flying rim running, like uh, acrobatic star from Dayton into like a corner boy, you know? So (laughs) I I understand there are some things to quibble about. Even like the Cam Reddish thing was, yeah, I think it it got to a level of insanity toward the end where it was like he's the missing piece, and it's like I actually I would love to see him get minutes on a team that doesn't matter, you know? Like I, I uh-huh. whatever Portland's gonna be, I'm glad he's <laughs> going to a place like I, I, what what yes. the the Warriors just did with Wiseman. He needed to go to a place like Chris Ryan of the Ringer just mentioned. Absolutely. This. He needed to go to a place that. Like you're not getting yanked after your first one or two mistakes. Like make all the mistakes you can. Go develop. Go go learn how to be a basketball player. There's uh-huh. some of that in Cam. I think his ceiling's a lot higher. And like that became such a, a a sticking point with Knicks fans. And then you get well, quote unquote, Tibbs guy and Josh Hart. Everything's fixed. Now, I'm not going to say Huge. like I'm curious how this is going to look against the best team with the best record in the East um, mm-hmm. on Monday night. But um, yeah, coach criticism. It just seems like nobody's happy with their coach. And I, I'm i not surprised that the team with the best record in the NBA also has a fan base that uh, is critical yeah. of said coach as well. You know, mm-hmm. a um, lot of fire Missoula, a lot of fire, fire Missoula all season. For it's who? crazy because who's, who's like the, 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 the coach or whoever that they're clamoring for? Surprisingly, and I'm fully against it because I think it's kind of gross. A lot of bring Eme back. A lot of this team needs ah. Eme. A lot of. Yeah, not exactly what you want to hear. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's. And even when it's not that, it is, it doesn't matter. Oh, you see sprinkles of Brad Stevens needs to step up and be the coach again. First of all, Brad Stevens, arguably a better GM than he was a coach and Mm -hmm. was a phenomenal coach. Um, But yeah, it's a lot of whenever the Celtics lose or, and and, and this isn't me saying like, there are criticisms for Joe Mazzula. His timeouts, Mm -hmm. like he, he hoards them. He doesn't use them enough. That is something the rotations. Like I said, I thought Derek White should be out there. There's stuff like that. Uh, He is notoriously short impressors not not in like a rude way but he'll just be like it'll just be yes yes that is what i wanted like like he'll, he'll just give you like one line responses and it's kind of funny sometimes but uh <laughs> like the, the people sitting there like the celtics will lose two games in a row like they went on this ugly home stretch they lost to the pacers at home then they lost two to the magic at home and, mm. and everyone the, the immediate reaction was fire missoula he's bad right not you know 
maybe the Celtics should play a little better. No, it is it is immediately fire the coach. It is never the Celtics should play better, even though for, for three years in a row, the Celtics, which is weird considering they're the best team, they, they've had three different coaches in the span of three years, right? You don't really think about that when you think of the Celtics. It's Brad Stevens, Emi Udoka, now Joe Missoula. And they've had, when they have problems, they are the same problems throughout all three years. And yet, despite the fact that the consistent part is the players and the the, the one thing changing is the coaches, fans still seem to blame the coaches, even though the issues are the same for three years. So uh, it, it it's never made sense to me. I've never been a blame the coach guy. I think it's kind of a lazy take to say blame the coach when the players are the one playing. Like, obviously, there are criticisms, but there's too much of it out there. Uh, do, do I agree there's too much of it? Yes. Um, I think to throw the, the blame the coach crowd a bone, the thing that coaches can control, like like the timeout situation, like the minutes yes. distribution, that's the thing that actually frustrates me. I just don't mm-hmm. look at that as much as I guess others do. Um, and look, to, mm-hmm. to, to their credit, a lot of the things that Knicks fans were clamoring for last year, more Emmanuel quickly minutes, more staggering of the rotations, um, they've done that this year. Uh, like, for, not for nothing, but why is Derrick Rose still playing was a, a calling <laughs> card for uh, uh, before the season. And it was when he got taken out of the rotation for good in December that it really turned the next season around. Um, now, let's I'd like to let, let's migrate a bit from from coach talk while I, I, yeah. I'd love talking about the, the status <laughs> of coach criticism in, in today's league. Uh, the Celtics, since. I, I don't mean to bring up a memory for you since an RJ Barrett buzzer beater uh, last year, um, what a they time. went, well, they went 33 and 10 after that stretch and yeah. made it to the NBA finals and are 44 and 17 this season. So first of all, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> second of all, I, between Udoka and the, yeah. the version of the team that exists this year, what would you say is the biggest difference that you've seen? Um, Cause it's like, we we can only box score scout and like well, I'm not watching the team every day like you are. What like really changed in this team from then till now? Yeah, it's it's very cliche to say culture, and I think it's deeper than that. But like that's the best all encompassing term I can use. It like the the Celtics just kind of seem to completely buy in first to what Udoka was saying last year, and now to what Udo, uh, Missoula has kind of amplified. JJ Redick talked about it. <clears throat> excuse me on his podcast. Mm-hmm. I had he had Mikhail Bridges on, but before that he did like a. a you know, pre-interview talk. And he talked about Missoula a lot. Uh, and Reddick basically said, like, it's all about getting the best out of your players, the players you have on the court. And that's what makes a good coach. And I think Missoula has done that this year. And I think Udoka did it best last year. <clears throat> and you heard uh, even before the RJ Barrett three that kind of fixed the Celtics, Marcus Smart sort of call out the Jays, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown in the media saying they don't pass. Right. And that was a harsh thing to say. And a lot of people got mad at smart for it, but it was completely true. He, he, he just said what no one was willing to. The Jays weren't passing. It was so much isolation ball. And when the Celtics fumble and when they, you know, falter this year, it is isolation ball. It is because there's not enough passing. And when the Celtics are at their best, they are moving the ball and they are locking in on defense, completely shutting down opponents. And I, I think the whole team really bought into that at the end stretch of last year and into the finals. Um, And then this year, I think they amplified it and built on it to where they're still doing all that good stuff. But I also think the, the locker room and the culture of the team this year is is huge. And as, as weird as it sounds, a lot of that is, you know, Blake Griffin is is the end of the bench guys. Cause last year, the big issue you saw in the finals was they had the Celtics had an eight man rotation that was elite. But when three of those eight having an off night, 
you don't have anybody else to turn to, right? Mm-hmm. You, you had Aaron Neesmith off the bench. <clears throat> Excuse me. You had, you know, Daniel Tice, who, who's a fine center, but you didn't have that extra depth. Now they added Malcolm Brogdon. They added players that can play. Luke Cornett's playing well, former, former Knicks legend, right? Luke Cornett's having a good season in Boston. Sam Hauser has developed into a really good piece. Even Blake mm. Griffin ha- has turned up for them when they need him to. Uh, and then not only that, not even not only having guys who can step up and play, but having guys who are willing to buy into that role. Blake Griffin, uh, Jay King of the Athletic, just put an article about it. Go read it if you haven't. Phenomenal piece about how Blake Griffin has understood that he's not the Blake Griffin he once was. And now he's just like the, this complete team guy, right? He's cracking jokes. He's doing impressions of coaches in the locker room, right? He, he's just a vibes guy. And th- that's the best way to describe it. He's a vibes guy. And that's exactly what the Celtics team needed after going to the finals and after finally figuring out what makes them a good team. Now they are able to do all of these things that make them such a good team, the ball movement, the defense, you know, the 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 flowing offense. And they've combined it with a great locker room. Malcolm Brogdon saying that this is the best locker room he's ever been a part of. And I think all of that is culminated together in the Celtics that you're seeing this season. So I, I, I think it's a mix of buying into playing the right way, that the passing, the ball movement, and then locking down on defense, as well as this, you know, improved locker room chemistry. Yeah, the play last year that stood out to me of this is a, a different Celtics team, and this is probably su- too simplistic to just narrow it down to one play, but I digress. Mm-hmm. Um, is the the game winner against Brooklyn in game one where it's yeah. like four passes. Smart makes the extra pass to Tatum for the layup. Mm, and that's the game winner to, to give the Celtics a, a game one victory. And that's indicative of uh, a clear culture shift, as you mentioned. Um, is yeah. this team better than last year? And as a result, do you how do you like your chances to get back to the finals and even win it this year? I think this team is better than last year. You, you got to consider you added Malcolm Brogdon, Sam Hauser's an actual piece now. Luke Cornett's a fine backup center traded for Mike Muscala at the deadline. Blake Griffin can play a little bit. Uh, they still need to fill that final roster spot, but e- even Derek White's made an improvement this year, right? So everybody on the team has gotten better. I, I think Missoula has done a good job of... The, the offense was really good down the stretch last year, but he's kind of improved it even more, taking it a step further. Uh, and they, they're a lot crisper on offense. They're you know playing faster a little bit. Uh, so that's improved. Um, and, and like I said, I think it's really underrated the vibes of the locker room, right? It sounds really cliche. It sounds really, you know, like weird, not the first thing you'd look at, but I think it's important to have that team chemistry behind the scenes. And I think a lot of the times people want, like after a loss, people want Jason Tatum to be mad. People want people to be upset, but after losses this year, you're hearing, we know what the ultimate goal is. This loss sucks, but we'll be better next time, right? We, we, this this is not the end game, right? We we want to win as many games as we can, but we know what the goal is. And so we're not going to let one loss completely derail us. And I think that calming, you know, cool-headedness of the Celtics is really important too. So I, I do think this team is better. And as far as their chances... I think they have some of the best chances in the league, right? I, I think there are very few teams who could derail the Celtics in a playoff series. I think the Celtics can beat any team in a playoff series. This isn't me saying like they're going to roll through the East. I, I I do think they could stumble against certain teams, but I, I don't think there's a team in the league that you look at and say, okay, yeah, the Celtics are going to lose to that team. I don't think they have a very good chance. And I, I think that's just indicative of how deep they are uh, and the, the steps Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have taken. So you just thank you for the segue because you mentioned Jalen Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. It's only really the last couple of years that I've become more of a numbers guy. I've always okay. been very much a, a like watch the game and high test. Like yeah. hopefully, well, just mostly. Ho- hopefully, 
the numbers that I do like back up with the eye test. Yes. Thing, you know, like I, I don't, I, I like mm-hmm. to, it, it, I'm, I'm a big baseball fan. And so as a result, I, I yeah. hate how it's become like, I don't need to watch baseball to understand certain things. Mm-hmm. Like the thing I enjoy about baseball are the things that I'm watching. But mm-hmm. having said that, I'm, I'm so confused by Jalen Brown's advanced stats and how they yeah. like help me understand this. The on off, he's in the 20th percentile. All of the impact metrics hate him. Uh, how do you how do you make sense of what's going on with Jalen Brown in that sense to white? I mean, you talk to a Celtics fan like yourself and like you said, he's taken a step forward this year. Mm-hmm. So I got absolutely torn apart on Celtics Twitter in December. I think it was because mm-hmm. I wrote an article. I don't want to say ripping Jalen Brown, but like pointing out at a lot of things that he doesn't do well. Jalen Brown and this is a hot take I said on the podcast and I probably regret it a little bit, but I said, if you want a bucket, I would almost take Jalen Brown over Jason Tatum. Like Mm. I'm talking, I'm not talking like, Oh, you need a three point shot. You need this. I'm talking, you need somebody to get to their spot and make a bucket. Jalen Brown is right there. If not better than Jason Tatum, he can hit the mid range. He's hitting the mid range at a ridiculous level this season that most like shouldn't be sustainable, but it has been, he's good at driving to the hoop. However, he he has a lot of bad turnovers, right? He, he he holds the ball too long. He'll fumble while he's driving to the lane. And this this stuff I pointed out in the article I wrote for Celtics blog. Uh, he's objectively not a very good passer, right? And th- this is me. I, I love Jalen Brown. He's the second best player on a great team. He's an all star, all NBA player, right? Not a great passer. He he misses passes a lot. He had a big pass that he missed. I, I it was Pacers game, I think. Uh, driving in transition, threw it about twelve feet above Al Horford's head in a transition. Should have been an easy bucket. Right. He, he misses a lot of easy passes uh, and the off ball defense in particular has been pretty rough this year. There's a lot mm-hmm. of clips of him standing in the corner, ball watching, getting beat on a back cut. Right. So the, <clears throat> those are the main things I pointed out. Um, and I, I think that's a big reason why some of the these, you know, plus minus stats aren't great, because in the lineups where it is Jalen Brown in the bench and Jason Tatum's not on the court, he's not as good as at leading an offense, right? Jason Tatum's really developed as a passer. He's really developed, excuse me, a good ability to play off the ball, to make these cuts, to do, you know, other things outside of scoring. At his court, Jalen Brown is a bucket getter, right? He's a great rebounder. He's taken a big step there this year as well. But when he's on the court leading the offense, quote unquote, things kind of fall apart a little bit. So he really needs, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, a Marcus Smart, a Derek White on the court next to him, handling the ball, helping set him up for things. Uh, because at his core, he is an isolation basketball player and he's he's elite at it, right? He's an elite bucket getter. He's a great rebounder, but it, it, it is the stagnant offense that comes when he has the ball in his hands and he's trying to run things because he's just not as good as Jason Tatum at it. And that's fine, right? You just don't put him in situations where he has to do that. And I think the Celtics have gotten better at that because, because of the rough stretch he had uh, when Jason Tatum missed some time in a little bit early in the year. But I, th- I think that's where a lot of it come from, comes from is because he's not, he's not an offensive leader. He is the focal point of an offense. If that makes sense, a little weird, but no, it does. It's the, it's very clear. He's the second guy and needs to yeah. be the second guy. While like there are many great second guys out yeah. there. Middleton is, is an idea, yes. the, the ideal situation where if he's your best player, you're probably like a, a 40, 41 win team. But if he's your second mm-hmm. guy, you can win the title with him. Um, especially if you have a third guy, like, uh, uh like Drew holiday <laughs> in that sense. Um, yeah, yeah I, 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 it's tough to look at just the counting stats with Brown. Like we have mm-hmm. like Julius Randall 
like his transition defense can be really poor. Um, the way the Knicks play, we were talking about this in the in like a Knicks film school group chat about how the um, uh, the Knicks transition defense is almost like designed to fail because mm. um, the, the they're always crashing the offensive boards. So as a result, when Randall's crashing the boards and like Hartenstein or whoever is playing center is crashing the boards, or even Josh Hart, that leaves Jalen Brunson back in transition if there isn't a board, yeah. you know? So um, they, it'll be fascinating to see uh, uh, this up close and in person for, uh, the, uh, again, I, the Jalen Brown thing is is a fascinating test case of eye test versus what the numbers are saying, because like yeah. you said, like you really do have to watch and I guess see the turnovers and see the defense to see why the, the, the points that he's scoring aren't necessarily <laughs> as impactful as everything else. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You've got New Year's goals and HelloFresh is here to help you achieve them. Take control of your time and budget with delicious recipes 
recipes delivered right to your door. Looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year? Cut back on expensive takeout and delivery and get started with HelloFresh. You'll love how easy, fun, and affordable it is to whip up a restaurant-quality meal right in your own kitchen. With fast and fresh recipes, HelloFresh's latest line of meals featuring robust flavors and filling portions are ready in less than 15 minutes. Enjoy taste and quality done quick with recipes like falafel power bowls, seared steak and potatoes with béarnaise sauce, or southwest pork and bean burritos. If you know anything about me, you know that I'm not the greatest when it comes to cooking. Thankfully, I found a life partner that loves her time in the kitchen and loves putting together these elaborate meals. Unfortunately, with her schedule working at a school all day and my schedule covering sports all night, we rarely have time to go to the grocery store together. Well, HelloFresh has made it possible for us to do all the grocery shopping for the week right from the comfort of our living room. In fact, just last night when I was editing the latest KFS pod, she was putting together two plates of Presto Pesto Panko Chicken with roasted potatoes and green beans. We were able to do dinner and a movie without even leaving the comfort of our own home. And this is just one of several delicious HelloFresh meal options with cook and prep time taking less than an hour. When you've got busy, conflicting schedules like ours, you don't have to go out for dinner and a movie. Instead, it comes right to you. Don't hesitate. Head to HelloFresh.com slash Filmschool65 and use code Filmschool65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Filmschool65 and code Filmschool65 for 65% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Another player on the Celtics that is becoming a bit of an enemy, but for unnecessary reasons, but bear with me, is Malcolm Brogdon. And it's because he's probably the front runner to win sixth man of the year. Uh. May, may I submit Emmanuel quickly into the conversation <laughs> who the impact metrics love him. He's arguably yeah. the best defender on the Knicks. I think Mitchell Robinson mm. would win because of his rim protection, but quickly's mm. um, off ball defense and his anticipation and passing lanes has been elite this season to the point where I he better get some all defense votes. I don't know about an all defense team. That's like kind of a reputation type of thing. Yeah. But I Emmanuel quickly has been great. Um, if you had to make the case for Malcolm Brogdon to be the sixth man of the year, what would it <laughs> be? Uh, I think as with all awards, winning always, will always play a part of it. If you're on a better team, I feel like voters are just more inclined <clears throat> to vote for that person. I, I think what Malcolm Brogdon has brought to the Celtics is <clears throat> less appreciated because of how good they were without him. If that makes sense, right? Like last year, they made the finals, right? The second stretch run they made was without Malcolm Brogdon. They were arguably the best team in the league for the second half of the season last year. And you, you could make an argument that it wasn't close, right? The on-off numbers, or excuse me, the plus-minus numbers for them, the net rating, all of that was elite. Their defense was stopping everything, right? <clears throat> but what kind of fell apart in the finals for them was they didn't have an extra shot creator, right? Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, if one of them was having an off night, the Celtics kind of faltered, right? And Jason Tatum didn't play particularly well in the finals. Um, and so the, the Celtics obviously didn't win the finals. Um, <clears throat> adding another guy who can create his own shot and also create for others, but isn't requiring the ball at all times is huge, right? Malcolm Brogdon can play off the ball. He's leading the NBA in three-point percentage this year. The best three-point shooting year of his career. I think he shoot like 45% from three, which is absurd, right? <clears throat> he's hitting his threes. He can create for others. He's done a great job of, you know, creating for Tatum, creating for Jalen, making it so Jalen Brown doesn't have to handle the ball, which I just talked about was a big problem at times this year for him. Um, and he can also just get buckets when you need them to, right? Like say Jason Tatum's having a cold night or say Jalen Brown's out. 
say one of them's not playing. Malcolm Brogdon can just put up a casual 30 points off the bench for you, right? And he's averaging off the top of my head, I think like 14, four and four, something around there, right? So he, he he's just doing plus playing solid defense, right? He's, he's, he's a solid defender. He's not amazing, right? I'm not going to sit here and argue like he's quickly all defensive team, but he, he's, mm-hmm. he's a solid defender and you need to be a solid defender on a team like the Celtics where they switch stuff and where everyone has to play a part. And so I, I think his ability to take an already great team and elevate their offense to the next level is what will put him in that, in that conversation. Although I will say, I, I think as is the case with some of these other awards, but I think more than any other award counting stats is what wins you six minute of the year. Right. Mm-hmm. And whether or not I agree with that, I think is a different question. Cause I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I don't think it should be a bucket getter award. Like for example, uh, outside of his health, which has been a, a problem because he hasn't been on the court consistently, Bobby Portis averaging almost a double double off the bench. He's not even in conversations because he's not averaging 15 points a night. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I think the defense, like you're saying for quickly. And I, th- I think, impact overall off the bench isn't taken into account as much as counting stats, which is why I think Norm Powell will probably get a lot of the votes because he's putting up 17 points off the bench, which I, I don't think he should be as high in the running as he is. And he's a great bucket getter, but I, I just hate that that's what the award has become. It, it is. If you score the most points off the bench, you win. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I think what Brogdon has done has gone past the points, right? He's obviously averaging, I think probably the third most points in the Celtics, but it's his ability to, keep the offense flowing and elevate an already elite team that I I think should have him in that running, which, okay. So fair. I, well, like, look to your point about it. It's become a bucket getter award. Look no further than the fact the front runner for sixth man of the year until two weeks ago was Russell Westbrook. So (laughs) I, I think that is a fair uh, uh, evaluation Mm -hmm. of what the award has become. Um, Emmanuel quickly is the biggest difference maker, I would say, from last year to this year with the Knicks, him, him taking a step up. Um, and look, to your point about winning being a deciding factor as well, will the Knicks finish with the best record in the East? No. Um, mm-hmm. If they finish with, with the fourth best record in the East and they yeah. take this leap and they get to like 46, 47 wins and he's still in the 90th percentile and on off, then I think that at least makes him in the top three consideration, at least is in my head, but I'm, I am admittedly biased for for this conversation. (laughs) Um, I want to ask about Jason Tatum because Mm. I'm sure look, you talk about bucket getters, one of the more gifted scores the league has had. Mm -hmm. You honestly saw it from the moment he stepped on a basketball court, that rookie season, you saw sprinkles Mm. of it. Um, how is he discussed in Boston? Does it, because I, I, I know, like New York, Boston is like, what, where, where are the banners? Where are the titles? You know, there, there's yeah. always a, a next level that you have to, to get to in order to impress me. Um, how is he discussed or even appreciated in Boston? I, I think there's two different crowds. I think there are the Celtics fans who watch the games, and then there are Boston sports radio people. And those are two. Those are two, those are two different groups, right? There are the people well. who watch every game. They are fans of the team, and I, those people appreciate Jason Tatum because they know how good he's been, right? And I, I am a big rings aren't everything guy. I, I am a big hmm. my podcast co-host, for example, <clears throat> hates Zach Levine. Thinks Zach Levine is terrible. This is random, but there's a point. No, uh, think, this is a conversation around Knicks yeah. world with the Knicks almost trading RJ yeah. Barrett for Zach Levine. So I get it. Thinks Zach Levine is awful because the Bulls are bad, right? And because they don't win. 
my thing is you can be a good player on a bad team. And how does this connect to Jason Tatum? Boston Sports Radio, there was a I think something recently came out, a narrative. I think Dan Shaughnessy wrote something saying he needs to win a cha- he needs to win a championship, right? He 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 doesn't do anything. He hasn't proven anything. Basically, I, I want to find the exact quote, but like just saying that basically Tatum's not good enough until he wins the championship, <clears throat> which is ridiculous, right? Like yeah. he he is arguably a top five player in the NBA, and half of the conversation around him is hasn't won a title yet. Not good, right? So I have the quote here. Dan Shaughnessy <clears throat> wrote verbatim. He hasn't won a championship (laughs) and there are times when he seems too much the embodiment of today's American born AAU groomed egomaniacal NBA superstar. Mm. He missed a game to go home to St. Louis for his son's birthday party in December. Just before the all-star break, he missed an important game in Milwaukee with a non COVID illness. Celtic subs lost in overtime. Then he came back to play it that night at home against the Lowly Pistons. So Tatum is getting criticized for being a father and being sick. So that right there should tell you that, what not to, not to, just to, not like, to not to interrupt, but like that's also how, screams like white mm-hmm. uh, gatekeeping journalist yes. that grew up in a different time or like grew, grew to fame in a different time when you could get away with articles like that, which don't uh-huh. consider what you're mentioning that these are people, you know? Exactly. So. You're absolutely right. And that that is one of the biggest things I hate about Boston media, right? And I can respect all the work all of these older, you know, writers did. They paved the way. They're they're great they great at what they did. But too often is it well, this, you know, they're not beating each other up on the court. So this basketball is softer. This dude is a father, but he's not, a. but he should be a basketball player first. Like these are humans. And that is like the biggest thing that I think gets lost with a lot of these, like you said, old white men who covered the sport in the eighties and nineties, right. Is they assume that all of these players should be basketball players first and human beings second. Uh, and the fact that he pointed out as a knock for Tatum, him going home to, you know, spend his birthday with his son, like that, that shows that's enough right there for you, you know, to tell you how ridiculous it is. So, um, like I said, the people who watch the games, the Celtics fans who are there every day appreciating what he is doing on the court, love Jason Tatum. I think Jason Tatum has been runner-up for MVP this year. I know I'm a Celtics guy. I think Nicole Jokic is MVP regardless. Um, <clears throat> Tatum is in MVP conversation. He's a top five player on the fa- planet. What he is doing is crazy. It, it is amazing. And he's leading the best team in the NBA. Boston sports radio people who, again, I will group into their own crowd, think he's not good enough because he hasn't done one thing. <laughs> Shout out to the hub, man. Um, I, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's a thing I wrestle with too because I can't stand <laughs> yeah. load management. Like that is something I will put yeah. on players. And like the Dame Lillard thing that happened the other day, I don't. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I just I I I disliked it because of the <laughs> concept of like I was on a plane and therefore I couldn't play the next day. And it's like uh-huh. oh my, like or your team like why couldn't Jeremy Grant play? Then you had ten days off. You know, mm-hmm. like I just I, there's a certain thing where I. That rubbed me the wrong way. I also, I just yes. despise tanking and what it's what it does more specifically to the product of the sport, even if it is an efficient yeah. way to get higher position in the draft. Um, but in that sense, where the the Shaughnessy's and the the older um, regime 
talks about their athletes, especially in a sport with the complexion that it is. I, I'm, I'm in lockstep with you. Uh, and also, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll always give you the floor if you want to criticize Boston in, in any way, shape, shape or form. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm from just south of Boston. I yeah. love Massachusetts. I am very like, I'm going to move into Boston this summer, right? I love yeah. it. But the whole like narrative around sports specifically, because it's like the only thing that matters to half people here, is is pretty gross if you want my honest opinion i i i hate it i try to you know i i'm working on something behind the scenes now in a long thing that hopefully is like straying away from the you are only a basketball player that is who you are you are nothing else um and i i that narrative has always been pretty wild to me and i mean a big part of it not to go on another tangent and i won't make to take too much of your time the whole no, all-star game thing the whole Arsenal game thing, uh, Jeff Van Gundy was complaining. I think it was him. It was either him or Mark Jackson on the broadcast last night of Celtic Sixers. Like, they should just get rid of the game. These guys aren't playing hard in the All-Star game. You have 82 regular season games to watch basketball. And you're focused right now. And you're taking up broadcast time of what is an amazing basketball game that we're watching. To complain that they don't care about a game that does absolutely... Of course, they're not going to care about the All-Star mm-hmm. game, right? It, it means nothing. Like, they're, they're, they have nothing to gain from playing it other than maybe an injury, other than Kemba Walker injuring his knee by playing, like, 40 minutes in an All-Star game, basically derailing his entire career. That was that was the point of the end for Kemba Walker. And I'm I, you know as much as anybody. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, Kemba Walker, right? Nick Nurse playing him that many minutes in the All-Star game started at the beginning of the end. So, like, it's, it's the All-Star game complaints. It is they're not punching each other in the face. It is... They're human beings and not basketball <laughs> players. It's it's ridiculous. And you laugh, but that's the biggest thing too. People, no, like, I get it. They're not physical enough, right? Like, yeah. So uh, I'm sorry. The NBA changed the rules so they can't punch each other. Darn. Watch watch UFC. Like like I don't know. It gets that's me. The, it gets me mad. <laughs> as somebody who grew up on the '90s Knicks, I'm not going to yeah. pretend that there isn't like some nostalgia. Sure. Like, I haven't I haven't talked about this on a pod with anybody yet. The JJ Redick <laughs> against the '80s thing that's going on right now is one yeah. of the funniest things. It's so good. to exist. But I also like I agree with both sides. Like, yes, was it more difficult to play in the '80s because you might have to worry about a clothesline on your way to sure. the rim? Yes. <laughs> Should they have gotten rid of that so you actually have to play <laughs> defense with your feet? Yes. Like it's like both sides are correct. Larry Bird was literally dealing with. Like mm. assault in the paint, <laughs> and now you have to deal with like much better perimeter defenders. Yes, as yes. a result, so it's almost like a, a push and pull of each way. My mm. only take on the All Star Game, while I did, I do agree with Ben Gundy and 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 Jackson that it was like bad. It's basketball. not an actual game anymore, right? Yeah, and so it's like, should they have dedicated airtime ten days later to it? No. I also think that we saw a competitive All Star Game last year. We saw a competitive All Star Game two, three years ago? Yes, yeah. And it's because LeBron and Giannis were on the court for the majority of it. LeBron and Giannis didn't True. play. You need a guy True. that's like, all right, it's the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. We're we're strapping up and this is going to matter. We're going to play. It just tough. wasn't close this year, right? Like, and, and the Elam yeah. the, the end, ending fixes it, I think. But when it's already a blow up by the third quarter, there's nothing that's going to happen. And if, if it was a closer game, I, I guarantee you they would have played harder because that's what's happened the last two years. Well, but. It to be just, fair, the first one with the Elam ending wasn't close going to it was like a double digit lead going into mm, the fourth quarter. But that because that's why I think there needed to be sure, a guy yeah. that uh, like an alpha on either a side that was yeah. like, okay, now we're we're going at it. And when LeBron leaves with an injury and Giannis plays one possession, it very <laughs> much funny. felt like, all right, let's let's just get our, our 40 minutes in and then mm-hmm. and get out of here. Um, but I, dig- again, I digress. Um, yeah. the, the New York Boston thing is 
a thing, obviously. Mm. Then, like I'd asked you before, you're are you a Red Sox fan? Are you are you into baseball at all? I was a big baseball guy when I was younger because my dad was a baseball fan. So I grew up as a baseball kid. And I, I admittedly didn't start being like a big Celtics guy until I was like 13, 14. And by that point, it was like the Jeff Green Celtics. So I, I often say Jeff Green is like the guy who got me into basketball, which is like obscene. Right. But um, so I, I missed like the the title in 08. I missed the, you know, the the end of the big three and stuff. But before that, I was a big Red Sox, you know. I had posters. This is very niche, but Julio Lugo. Uh, I was a big, you know. That is very niche. Wow. Yeah, yeah, niche. I love, I had a, like, Julio Lugo signed bat, right? Like, I was big. My brother loved Mark Bellhorn, like, deep mm. into Red Sox, right? But I, I was telling you before the show, I, I went through a phase where I really wanted to be unique, right? I was like, oh, everyone's Red Sox and Pats fans. And so uh, I was a Saints fan, right, for football. Mm-hmm. Um, I predicted the... I, I was a Saints fan the year they won the Super Bowl, by the way. Mm. And, I, and I was a Saints fan in the preseason, too. So I'm not taking any bandwagon. Hopped um, on at the and, right time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great. And I, I know you mentioned I was a Mets fan. I was a huge mm. Jose Reyes guy. Uh, I When I was younger, I, I had a lizard, like a bearded dragon. His name was Jose after ah. Jose Reyes. So I, I was a Mets guy for a period of time. I have since reformed and I am I'm now a Red Sox guy again. But I, I the Mets are like my second favorite team because of that time I had. So I, there has to be a hint of like we both hate the Yankees. Like when the, yes, the Mets have this course. group, the Mets fans have of this course. group called the Seven Line. Um, they go and travel <laughs> to games here and there. It's like a really cool group of like uh, like a couple dozen people. They have an actual mm. section in center field. Oh wow! I, I say a couple dozen, a couple hundred people go and travel <laughs> like to a couple road trips every year. And they went to Boston. I want to say in 2018, and a Yankee suck chant broke out, and it was wow. one of my favorite moments in. New York, Incredible. Boston history because it was like, oh, common ground. The Red Sox are winning in the eighth <laughs> inning and we're chanting Yankee suck. I love um, it. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to give the floor to uh, a Boston mm. guy to tell me about the Knicks. I like to get the, before we wrap up, I like to get people's perspective on how they view what the Knicks are doing. And I, again, the like the the, the team that I, I know they've been a, a punching bag and deservedly so for the most of this millennium. Um, but I guess this century, although you could argue this millennium too, but um, <laughs> the, the last two decades have not been the greatest the last, mm. honestly, last three years with ups and downs involved have been better. Um, yeah. How do you see uh, the Knicks and, and what they're doing right now? Yeah. So if you have my podcast co-host Sam on, uh, he is, I will say the more Homer of us. So he doesn't like the Knicks, right? He'll mm. go off in these standards. Anybody outside the Celtics sucks, right? That's him. I, I kind of like the Knicks and maybe that's like, wow. I shouldn't, okay. I shouldn't. Cause I'm a Boston guy. Love Jalen Brunson. He's been so good. Like there, there's not, I thought he should have been an all-star over Julius Randle. Not cause like the counting stats are better, but like, I, I think, Brunson's place on the Knicks has allowed Julius Randle to go back to what he does best. And I, I think that's the biggest thing. And I, I said, my opinion is because of the impact Brunson has had. I think that's what should have made him the all-star. Not that Julius Randle didn't deserve it. He's having a great season, but like purely from game changer perspective from like last year to this year, it is so clear as day that Brunson is the difference. Right. And so I think he deserves a ton of credit. I love Jalen Brunson. I love what he's been doing. He's awesome. Um, I don't know. They're, they're, they're just, they're fun because of Brunson and because of like how well they're playing compared to expectations. Like, I don't think a lot of people thought the Knicks would be quite as good as they are coming into this year. I think a lot of people expected, okay, yeah, they will be a play in team. They'll be all right. Brunson's fine. But like, 
it, 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 they've exceeded that, right? They're, they're playing better. They're, they're like you said, they're making a push for a top six team in the East. Um, the Nets falter kind of helps that when, when the Nets made the trade, I said something pretty stupid. I said, I still think the Nets are better than the Knicks. I uh, rephrase. Yeah. I, I think that, I think the Nets probably have a little bit better depth than the Knicks just because mm-hmm. of like the, the long list of wings. Again, it, it was a hot I'll take. Let- Okay, it was okay. an it it was a ESPN Stephen A. Smith take that I I, oh. I, I retract I retract. It was a performative I, take that didn't mean anything. <laughs> it was, gotcha. It, it was bad. Yes, okay, I, I okay. I'll admit it in hindsight. It was bad, but no, yeah, I, I like the Knicks. I think what they're doing this year is great. I, I think they will probably push for that top six seed. I don't think they'll fall back into play, and I think they are like the way I say it is of the group of you know the Wizards, the Hawks, the you know the Nets now, the Heat. I think the Knicks are the best of that tier. And I, mm. I so I, I think they will push in for a top six seed. I don't think they'll pass like the Cavs and the Sixers. I don't think they'll get up that high, but I, I think they are definitively a top six seed team in the East this year. And so I, I really like what they've been doing. I love Jalen Brunson. I, even when they made that contract, a lot of people were like, what, what, the, what, what are you doing? I loved it. I, I thought it was great uh, off rip. I love Josh Hart heading into this year. My hot take was he was going to win player, uh, what is it? Uh, most improved, mm. right? Because he had that great stretch wow. with the Blazers at the end of last year. I thought the Blazers were... <laughs> I don't know why they traded him, right? And maybe it's because they're trying to reform or whatever. For a team that plays no defense, to get rid of a guy who does nothing but hustle and play defense, foolish. I thought it was a great pickup for the Knicks. I think he's great. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm higher on the Knicks than I think you would expect for most Boston people. Well, I appreciate it. And yeah. um, <laughs> by the way, your co-host Sam uh, will be reaching out because I I do want to <laughs> I want to get the Homer Red Sox on here. Oh yeah, he, he might wow, he might pull it. it back. He might pull it back for uh, like an outsider show. But if you push him for it, you can tell him I said it. You can tell him to go uh, go full on. Yeah. Um, but with your 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 perspective, I look. I I also think they're a top six seed. I actually mm. think we need to start recalling it a top five seed because not yeah. necessarily for the Knicks, but like Brooklyn doesn't matter anymore you know so there's no there's no five clear teams better than the Knicks right now um so I would put the top four of Cleveland Boston Milwaukee and obviously um Cleveland Boston Milwaukee and Philly uh in the top four and then it's like from five to eleven really are a bunch of teams competing for uh five spots four six spots I guess Mm um yeah I'm they're playing the best basketball I've seen in a long time. Even that we here season two years ago, um, I guess. Yeah. Two years ago, uh, mm-hmm. that felt like found money. And this mm-hmm. actually seems like real analytically planned and sustainable. Yeah. And like, they have all these guys under contract and none of them's on a max max deal. That I think is why the Josh Hart trade happened, by the way, he's a, he's a, a free agent at the end of the year and the Knicks will extend him. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and look, I, I also have no idea what they're doing that in Portland sense, yes. where they're taking it <laughs> like rolling a dice on on Cam, which like maybe he pops and it's great. But sure. you also have Dame and, and a Hall of Faber and you're allegedly trying to build around him. So we'll see mm-hmm. what happens there. Um, and I I think as far as Knicks fans and the hysteria that happens sometimes when the Knicks are good, uh, this this game against Boston is going to be a big test. And mm-hmm. I guess my last question um do you do you expect a win? Are you less confident because of how good the Knicks are playing? How do you view this matchup on Monday night? Uh, again, to reference my co-host, 
Uh, he believes the Celtics should win every game. So 82 uh, and 0. Okay. Oh, yes. Yes. But at the beginning of last year, he said the Celtics should go 8 0 to start the season. This is the first, like, he, he is full on. If the Celtics are playing a game, they are good enough where they should win it. And to a, mm-hmm. like, I understand because they are the best team in the league. And so I, I think they can win against every team. Obviously, that is not the case. Um, <clears throat> coming out of the All Star break, I said that the Celtics' seven game stretch out of the break would determine their path for the rest of the season because they're kind of chasing 60 wins right now um, hmm. in, in a way. And I, I think that's a good goal for them. Not that it matters in the long run because the playoffs are what matter, but like a 60 wins, you're an elite team, right? And so coming into the All-Star break, they had Indiana, Philly, New York, Cleveland, Brooklyn, New York, Cleveland, right? So they're going to have New York twice, Cleveland twice in that stretch. I, I Like you said, I, I think the Nets aren't necessarily a threat. They don't really have an offensive creation. I, I was foolish to say that they were better than Knicks. And I, again, hand up. <laughs> but, Hold on. To um, your point, I just want to... I do like what Brooklyn did. I think they're, they're missing now. a guy yes. to kind of steer like steer exactly. the ship like because they have a lot of complimentary pieces <laughs> it's funny a lot of defense they, well like what we mm-hmm. said when they made the the durant deal was like you know what this team would be great uh, it would be great if they put like these pieces around kevin durant like yes <laughs> this is the team to put around a superstar and call it a exactly day. um but until further notice i think we're they're they're lucky to get to 100 points you know yes exactly yeah. they don't have an offensive uh creation so i think the celtics should beat the nets right and i said if they can go five and two in that Seven game stretch. I think they have a really good chance. They had 60 wins. <clears throat> they beat Indiana and Philly. The Philly win was huge. I think they'll beat Brooklyn. I think that's fine, which means they would have to go one and one against the Cavs and one and one against the Knicks. Um, I think the Knicks will play the Celtics well. Fun fact the Knicks are the only division team to beat the Celtics this season. They yeah, swept they the are. Raptors, they've swept the uh the the Sixers, and they've swept the Nets so far. And so I, I think the Knicks play the Celtics well. Um, and so if I had to guess, I think the Celtics could and should beat them twice, but it would not surprise me at all for the Knicks to take one of the two games they have upcoming. So um, I think it'll be a tough game. I think it will be, I don't think it'll be super high scoring unless the Celtics get hot because that's the thing with the Celtics. If they just start making like a bunch of threes, it's going to rain, right? Like, and that's kind of the, the duality of them is if they're hot, they'll win. If they're not, it'll be a struggle. Um, so if the Celtics don't get hot, which they can do, I think it'll be really a close game. And if they do that twice, I think it could go one and one. But if the Celtics get hot, and then I think it's just like that's just who they are this season. Which is how the first yeah. matchup went. You know, yeah. the Celtics <laughs> made all those threes at the Garden. The Knicks were mm. they're still kind of figuring themselves out, to be honest. They mm-hmm. had just taken um they didn't have Quentin Grimes. They had just taken Evan Fournier out of the starting five. Emmanuel quickly hadn't been elevated to this kind of six starter role where he plays like mm-hmm. close to 30 minutes anyway. Um, and they were, it's tough to really go back to them. The game they played in Boston where the second unit came in and really erased that lead. And the Knicks then were still figuring out their crunch time offense. So Boston was able to tie it and send it to overtime. That I think is more indicative of where these two <coughs> yeah. teams are now. And <laughs> look, I'm, I'm, Curious how this this Knicks Heat check is gonna go, but uh, what better way than against Boston and against the defending <laughs> East champs and you know one <laughs> of the best teams in the NBA? Uh, Jack, you've been great with your time. I really appreciate it. Tell the fine yeah. folks at home where they can find you and all your stuff. Yeah, thank you for letting me go on all the tangents. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Jackson One NBA. You can see it on the screen right there. Uh, my work at Heavy uh, Heavy dot com is there right, for a bunch of NBA, but like. For Celtics, Celtics blog, you can find me there. I wrote something today about Al Horford, uh, you know, kind of destroying the Sixers, uh, which was really <laughs> funny. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Celtics blog is, is the main place for Celtics content and Jackson NBA. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Of course, man. Thanks for coming. 
Big thank you to Jack for coming on today's show to help me preview this matchup against the Boston Celtics. Uh, always good to talk with somebody from New England that doesn't remind me that they've owned New York over the past two decades. Thank you, Eli Manning, or else that there would be even more unbearable if there was a perfect season and a couple more Super Bowls involved there. Uh, I actually have some breaking news in the midst of recording this podcast. Um, this happened after we got done recording the episode, the conversation with Jack, and it actually happened after a first try at an outro for this podcast. But uh, the Boston Celtics have just reported that Jalen Brown is out for tonight's game against the, I guess, the time when you're listening, tonight's game um, in my world tomorrow against the Knicks. So the Knicks will be playing the Celtics without Jalen Brown. Uh, Derek White is probable. I would assume he is playing. I don't know how much worse or better this makes the Celtics. If this is a team that, uh, if you according to Jack, has actually had uh, multiple options um, down the stretch and there is chatter or maybe even an outcry for uh, players that aren't closing games to be closing games. So we'll see. The Knicks will be playing the Celtics without their alleged second best player. And I wonder how that changes things for them. Um, In the meantime, head on over to the How About Them Celtics podcast. You know what to do. Give them the KFS bump. You can put in the rating if you'd like. Like Celtics suck. uh, Tom Brady sucks. uh, Like Boston sucks. You can Say whatever you want. Uh, Just five-star rating. Thank them for coming on the KFS podcast. Jack in particular. This was a lot of fun. That'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes and drop a five-star rating on this podcast. John will be back on the post game on YouTube and then on this podcast feed on Monday night, recapping this game, which is hopefully their sixth win in a row. Regardless, whether it be a celebration or a funeral, we'll be here to break it all down on all KFS platforms. Until next time, thank you for listening, everybody. Enjoy the game tonight. And I will speak with you soon. Peace.